0: they throw you out there and say go get them In China, <laughs> my translator was my best friend um i lived off campus everybody else lived on a basketball training facility campus huh uh, they weren't allowed to leave only i was the only one who could come and go as i pleased um they asked me to bring them snacks and stuff from the outside world <laughs> it, was, it was crazy um they were like the coaches smoked in the gym. Like there's a nice little haze of smoke in the gyms. The translator, anyhow, was the only one who spoke English. My coach didn't speak English, and no, neither did any of the players.
1: Another season in the books. The podcast featuring European professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the United States. We'll talk about the ups and the downs, the pros and the cons. We'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics. I'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it! Welcome back, everyone, to another season in the books. Today, we have the pleasure of listening to story after story from one of Minnesota's all-time greats. She tells it how it is, and that's probably why we all love her so much, not to mention her incredible ability to dance in the low post and pass as if she's been playing the point guard her whole life. Janelle McCarville takes us on a journey through her upbringings in Custer, Wisconsin, and beyond to places like Spain, Slovakia, Russia, Turkey, Poland, China, Italy, and Sweden. She's had a long and prosperous professional career, endured obstacles, celebrated the highs, and currently continues to soak up the cultural gems overseas life has to offer. Without further ado, here she is. Buenos dias, Janelle McCarville. Welcome to the podcast. How are you?
0: I'm wonderful. Happy to be here, Lives.
1: I am so excited. Um, So you're speaking to us from Sweden. So how do you say buenos dias or good morning in Swedish?
0: Um, You can say hey, which is very similar. Or you can say shenna. You can say what? Shenna. 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 It's like a T-J something. I I, I couldn't spell it. I can say it. it. it.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's quite the difference. Um, Last night, I think what you said was, See you tomorrow. Hasta mañana. I think that's what it said in Swedish.
0: Yes. I said, See you tomorrow. Which is, See you tomorrow.
1: Look at you, man. <laughs> I'm trying.
0: I'm trying. World
1: you are here. like Pick an, an adopted America. Swede. I am. Um, I am. That's That's great though, because I know a lot of Americans end up not even learning much of the language. So, you know, the fact that you can get around and say certain things is uh, a plus, I think.
0: It is. It helps that I've been here for a couple years now, um, early on in the career, you know, I bounced from country to country every year. Uh, so I wasn't able to actually pick up a language in, in such short amount of time. And then I always went to a new country that didn't speak that language and had to learn something new. So unfortunately right. I haven't picked up full languages, but I'm doing
1: yeah. best. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, let's just get right into it. Um, I'm curious, if you have a first sports memory, uh, like first? your your earliest childhood sports memory, can you remember?
0: Oh, you know, like, I would say it, it wouldn't be like my sports memory, just any sports memory.
1: Well, I mean, it doesn't, if you remember somebody else's sports memory when you were little, that counts too. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yes. So... My cousin played basketball um, in a very small school in Wisconsin in high school, and I didn't quite play basketball yet. Um, And I found what she was doing amazing. So I think that kind of propelled me into into playing basketball as well.
1: Sure, do you remember how old you were?
0: I think I was like sixth grade.
1: Oh, so you started
0: playing later in life way later because even in sixth grade I didn't play very competitively like it was just you know if I could make get on a team I got on team and if I didn't I did chores around the house because that's what we did instead of play basketball but I kind of got out of those farm chores because I had basketball um so no I really didn't start playing super competitive until eighth or ninth grade wow yeah so it was my I've, cousin that that had the excitement that I enjoyed, and went to almost all of her games and fell in love.
1: Yeah, that's cool. So uh, you what seventh or eighth grade? You kind of maybe started taking a little bit more seriously, but
0: more really towards in, ninth grade. Eight, seventh okay, eighth was just kind of you know I showed up, I did a couple practices, I went home.
1: Yeah. Um. Which is really funny because in today's world, there are like eighth and ninth graders who are already getting scholarship offers and having to like commit.
0: <laughs> um, it is, I, yes, to me, that's crazy uh, how far it's advanced in some aspects. Um, but no, I was I was still having fun doing as much as I could uh, with no real commitment at that age. Right. Again, it was, you know, coming off the farm. Uh basketball was second to getting stuff done around the ranch.
1: Yeah. How many people went to like your high school? How many were in your graduating class?
0: So we actually had one of the largest graduating classes um, or biggest high schools uh, in the state for 10th, 11th and 12th grade. Um, and I think we had roughly 2000 students, oh. maybe, you know, 800 in a graduating class or so.
1: Okay, that's a fair amount, yeah.
0: It's quite a large amount.
1: Yeah, but then all these kids, did the majority of them, I'm assuming, I mean, I remember reading stuff about you in the newspaper back in the day and whatnot, and like that you're from a farm. Did all these other kids live on farms too, or was there like a, a, a downtown? <laughs> well,
0: there was a downtown, but nobody really came from downtown. Everybody was uh, suburbs slash farms. So I would say, yeah, there were a few other student athletes who came from farms, but I think I was kind of the main one in that area. Okay. Um, so then once
1: you go, you get into high school, 10th grade, 11th grade, um, I'm curious, what was the recruiting process like for you? Because I know a lot of kids nowadays are just overwhelmed. They receive a ton of mail. They, they're not really like participating. Maybe their parents do it for them. Um, they make these decisions, you know, whether they are happy or not. At the end of the day, that's up to them. But um, what was the process like for you? I mean, we're talking, what was this? 2000, 2001?
0: Yeah, uh, I graduated in 2001, so I probably started getting recruited in, I think 99. Um, I didn't get a lot of attention. I mean, honestly, I was. <laughs> a heavier farm kid, you know, that <gasps> maybe people thought just got lucky um, on the court. But no, I mean, Minnesota started recruiting me almost from the start, um, which was odd because I was in Wisconsin and Wisconsin really didn't recruit me at all. Uh, was I was going to ask you. It's, you know, I really don't know. There was another girl from my high school that went to Wisconsin. Um, and maybe they just hit their quota from central Wisconsin players. I don't know. They yeah. did not get in on it at all until almost signing date. My, I think junior or senior year, whenever it was. Hmm. So I, yeah, I really don't understand I, it.
1: I was going to ask you if you were a Badger fan at all, or like, did you guys follow the Badgers?
0: Once upon a time. But then, uh, you know, after I jumped <laughs> the border you can't really go back if you
1: know right right you I, came over to the dark side
0: kind of you know <laughs> the grass was greener in some aspects
1: yeah 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 so you were recruited by minnesota and was it like an easy decision um did you come for an official visit did you do all that did they wind and dine you
0: they wind and dine as best as they could um i had a few other places that were adequate that i would have that I was close to choosing for not personal reasons, but just, you know, almost a business decision that would have made sense. Um, And there were a few schools far away that I thought weren't, uh, not my standards, but weren't what I wanted out of a situation. Um, Mm. So the ones that were close were Green Bay. I was close to choosing Wisconsin Green Bay, but it was Minnesota that won my heart. Drake was close. I was almost close to going to Drake uh, and Minnesota. Those are the, the three that I was into.
1: So what did your parents and like your family think about this? Because you went from basically not really playing, not knowing what basketball was to all of a sudden playing and then getting the opportunity to get full ride scholarships. Like, was your family just kind of surprised? Like did they even realize what the world about basketball could be?
0: No, they had absolutely no comprehension. Um, <laughs> even to this day, My father still tells me he doesn't know anything about basketball, but he's a funny guy. So he tells everybody he taught me everything I know, which in some aspects is true. But if somebody were to ask him what a pick and roll was, the dude would look at you dumbfounded like he I don't know. You know, so (laughs) the one the one good thing I, I had about my parents is they really they wanted to be involved only so there was an adult involved. They had no no say so in anything in which direction I went which school I went they were just there as support and comfort and questioning and you know that kind of attitude they didn't tell me I needed to go here do this do that anything right so, but that was my whole basketball career you know mom was just a big cheerleader and dad sat there and watch he I don't even think he said one one word during games like he never said anything he was just there as a spectator and supporter like after yeah. the game. I mean this guy okay so I, I'm gonna I'm jump around here a little bit <laughs> okay guy, you know like he's at every single game so I'm playing with Lindsay Whalen you know who's one of the best point guards of her time in college she dropped maybe 40 and uh, everybody's you know kissing her ass and like, oh, way, you're so good. <laughs> I remember she came up to me when I was talking to dad and dad's like, oh, Waylon, did you play today? You know, like <laughs> there's absolutely no chill whatsoever. So like the dude just separates himself, you know, like he's not a fan in a way, he's just a supporter. And uh-huh. it was awesome. Anyhow, yeah, that's when, it, that's when his go-to lines is awesome. <laughs> one of the best players on my team at any given point, whether they played that day.
1: <laughs> he's being sarcastic, I'm assuming, or yes. was he really? Okay.
0: Yeah, he's, wait, like, He's not dumb. You know, he just doesn't <laughs> understand basketball terminology. But like I said, you know, even Diana Taurasi, like, we, I played with her in Russia, and uh, Dad came over to watch. And, you know, Diana's Diana, and Diana does what Diana does. And after the game, he's just like, Diana. Why don't you do something today? You know, like she's <laughs> dropping triple doubles and crossing people up and you know pulling up from logos, just like everybody does in today's world. But there was no video back then, and Dad's just like, you know, you should have did more. <laughs> that's great. Keep
1: yeah. keeping keeping it light. Um, but I think that's what a lot of kids probably need in today's world because the pressure has become so high i've gone to kids games that are like fifth grade and parents are being absurd in the stands and i just think uh like these kids are not going to enjoy this you know
0: it's like it's it's already becoming too much of a job in elementary school and junior high you know they're going to be worn down in the drive they're going to lose their drive to improve get better put in the time and then it's basically what mom and dad want not what they want and that's not right
1: Right. Um, Well, you did mention your overseas career a little bit there, and I do want to get into that. But before we do that, um, I was just curious like, your senior year of college, I'm trying to remember. I think, honestly, I don't remember much. I think I was just trying to survive my freshman year. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking about it last night, and when you were drafted, you were drafted number one, correct? Correct. What was that experience like? Did you automatically then just leave school and go to training camp did we have a party for you I mean I honestly don't remember anything
0: yeah you know now that you mention it no you never had a party for (laughs) me so I'm, I'm a little hurt um you know so okay being drafted number one before the draft I went to these uh the top three places who told me that I was in the running um did interviews and met with everybody who was important, uh, board members, coaching staff, whatnot. Um, and they basically interview you. And, you know, I thought I, I'm a wine and diner. I thought I had a chance to go number one, just off my, (laughs) off my talking ability at that time. Um, but no, like I didn't know I was going number one the day of the draft. So I was nervous as usual is everybody else, you know, as it could have been anything. I thought I could have went anywhere from one to one to four, to be honest. Um, and yeah, when my name was called it, it, I mean, it happened slow, but it happened so fast. I don't remember hugging my mom and dad. All I remember basically is the interview afterwards, you know, like I, I went up, I, held the jersey. I talked to the president of the league. I, you know, took pictures and then I went off and did an interview, but I barely remember any of that. Like it all happened so fast. It was an experience for sure.
1: Yeah. That's interesting to know because I don't really know how that all works. And I thought maybe if you're the number one draft pick, maybe you knew that you were going to be picked, but it's, they still leave it up to a little, you know, there's a little suspense there.
0: There was a lot of suspense for me. Um, I truly didn't know. They told me After I had the interview and everything, they told me I was in the running and they had to make some decisions, and, you know, that was it. After that, there was no contact. So I was – when I was drafted, we were in New York, um, and then truly after I was drafted, I don't remember much. I flew home. I don't remember being in college much longer. I don't remember my teammates hosting me an awesome party for being the best player.
1: (laughs) Literally, I, I have no recollection of, like, I knew that you were drafted, you went number one, but I have no recollection of anything after that. And I think I was just in my own little world in Territorial Hall, living in the dorms, and yeah. was completely oblivious to any of this. And looking back, I, I think to myself, how is that possible? Like, going number one is a
0: big deal. I agree. But, <laughs> I mean, I really don't remember it either. It all happened so fast in a way. And I I really don't even remember how long I was um, back at school. I remember – I do remember leaving what I thought was kind of quickly to go to the WNBA and training camp because I didn't finish my senior year. Um, Right.
1: Well, it happens during school. So it's like they don't really give you much of a choice. It's like you're
0: gone. Yep, you're out. If you can transfer everything to online courses and, you know – maybe postpone a class or two. But otherwise, no. So unfortunately, I left all my classes on the on the board and just left.
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm sure Christina Collison was very sad to see you go, but very excited for you at the same time, who then was my roommate the next year, the following year, because of course, she had nobody to live with because her roomie had left. So then I was, uh, I was hooked up with Christina. Um, I I
0: don't know if I knew that. Lucky you.
1: (laughs) Man, that was a year. That was a year. Little, innocent, green Leslie Knight living with Christina. It was fun. Um, (laughs) uh, So do you know what song will always be seared in my memory from my freshman year? And it makes me think of preseason. Do you have any idea what song I'm thinking about?
0: I mean... Pre-season?
1: Yep. We were in the old locker room next to the Pav, and you guys would put this song on at like six o'clock in the morning, blaring before we would go out and have to run baseline to baseline to baseline for like an hour.
0: I mean, the only thing I can truly remember is the percolator. (laughs) That's the only, only thing I have ingrained in my head for Minnesota days.
1: Okay, well, I'll give you a hint. It's a country song.
0: It's a great day to be alive.
1: <laughs> nope. Oh, You're talking goodness. about uh, cowboys and saving horses.
0: Uh-huh. That was back then. I don't even know that song was that old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I- I'm trying to Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have that freshman year just like seared in my memory of not wanting to go do conditioning in the morning and then every morning having to listen to that song full blast in the locker room. Um, whenever Wait, I hear it, I think it was, about preseason.
0: If, if it got us going, Les, been played. <laughs> six o'clock in the morning, ain't easy.
1: I know. What was no. that adjustment? What was that adjustment like for you when you came to college? Like as far as basketball
0: workouts, um, and what you had been used to? <clears throat> I definitely never met six o'clock in the morning multiple times a week with sprints like I did in college.
1: <sighs> um,
0: it was, it was quite the change. It was something that was needed. Um, in order for me to grow and understand uh, my abilities as a player in a way, I think, you know, like the, the, as as difficult as the early mornings are, they truly build the character and they truly in a way break you down and build you up again to understand what you can and cannot accomplish as a tired individual. When you think you have nothing and you truly have something left in the tank, um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's a harsh way to find out throwing up at six o'clock in the morning and still having to finish sprints after you clean up the throw up that mad you got on their court, you know, so it's it builds, you know, like it's it's tough in the moment, but I think it really builds you and um, as difficult as it was, I, I wouldn't change it right now.
1: Mm hmm. What about the adjustment as well to then classes while you're going to 6am workouts? Because I understand you have to have a minimum GPA to be able to participate in sports. So you have to go to class, you have to study, you have to turn in homework. Um, Was that difficult at all for you to just organize your time and be responsible to say, hey, I got to get to class?
0: That was probably the truly most difficult thing for me. Because there's so much to do. And yeah, I think basketball, you are allowed to have 20 hours per week and I think four hours in the weight room and, you know, two hours or one hour, no, two hours or three hours in the morning, something like that. And then on top of it, yes, you're taking a full schedule between 12 to 17 credits usually. And then on top of that, you have to, like you said, do the homework and have everything done just as a normal student does. Minus those extra 25 hours that you have to put into basketball. Uh, So it was difficult. I struggled my first semester trying to cope and get everything done at the same time. Mm -hmm. I remember um, conditioning at 6 in the morning and finishing at 7 or 7.15. And then sitting and standing in the shower for 45 minutes because I didn't have anywhere else to be except my class. And I didn't want to get to class too early, so I just stood in the shower and wash my horrors away from the the morning sprints and then try to get my life together with homework and <laughs> get to class on time, turn everything in, eat, get to practice in the afternoon, rehab, get home, do homework, only to turn around and do it all over again the next day. Yeah. That took some, that took some adjusting for sure.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot for incoming freshmen. Um, I don't know if you have any advice for them, but yeah, you just got to organize your time. And uh, for me, I mean, you got to know your body, right? I need my sleep. So just got to get everything done when you can.
0: Yes. You know, it's freshman year is a lot of late nights and early mornings in order to get everything done. Um, It is giving up a lot of social life and a lot of free time to be with friends and have your downtime. Did you live in the dorms? T Hall baby, I'm right there with you. You did, okay. I did. Yeah.
1: Nice. And with a roommate that was an athlete or just a normal regular student.
0: She was an athlete, and she was special. Um, <laughs> you don't I remember can't... who she was? Oh, I remember everything about her from her name to the sport she played to her not common sleep schedule. It was <laughs> it was difficult. Um, <laughs> Okay. We did not see eye to eye on too many things. And... That's, I'll okay. Be, I'll be nice from there. You don't always like your roommate. I'll say that. Um, unfortunately, it's true. But we made it work. You know, I think our schedules were almost opposite where we didn't see each other. But the thing was, is when I was sleeping, she was awake. And when she was sleeping, I was awake. So it was difficult.
1: Yeah. I think... Honestly, I also think that builds character Um, and it's part of the college experience. You know, I was fortunate and my roommate was super respectful. She wasn't an athlete, but she would just like leave and let me have the the dorm and I would sleep whenever I wanted. Um, But if you have a roommate that doesn't, um, it can be difficult. But now I think a lot of incoming freshmen, they just automatically put them in these nice apartments with another teammate and they're like completely spoon fed.
0: Well, again, that's, that's part of the change with, I think, recruiting and getting someone to go to your college back in the day, it was mandatory or they said mandatory that freshmen had to stay in the dorms. But again, I think it just built character. So they, they did it. Um, you didn't get to go directly into living the lavish life in apartment complexes with multiple roommates, with actual kitchens and refrigerators. Um, but now, you know, if you don't give that in freshman year, that's enough for some people to go a different direction. I don't think colleges and coaches and, you know, they're trying to lose recruits simply because you're going to make them live in the dorms. So, right. I wouldn't change it. I'd, you know, I'd want a new roommate. Like, I didn't mind the experience. We had fun in the dorms. We tore T-Hall up. <laughs> Do you remember what floor you were on? I was on the first floor.
1: Okay, I was on the third.
0: So, you know, you walk right through the door, you take a left and then a quick right, and then walk down the hall and I was at the end. So luckily I was at the end of a hall, basically like a cul-de-sac in my mind, um, (laughs) where there was not a lot of traffic. So it was quiet. We weren't by the entrance. And you couldn't go out exits at that time because the alarms would all sound. Hmm. Um, So, you know, we were, it was quiet where I was. I lived as big as Minnesota was. My high school soccer teammate lived right across the hall from me. No way. Yeah. We had our little section. It was pretty cool.
1: Small world. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think like territorial hall, frontier, pioneer, centennial. You've got one building and there are probably, I mean, easily thousands in one building. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was a massive, like even just the first floor like how many hallways and where you could walk. I, yeah, there were thousands of us living just in one building and uh, how you survive living in the dorms, I'm not sure, but we had a great time. And I I look back, I have like a lot of just, I cherish that year. So I'm glad that I lived in the dorms, yeah.
0: Agreed, like you said, it does build character and it gives you those experiences and Uh preps you for later life situations, I would assume.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's get into your overseas career a little bit. And I was looking online, um, correct me if I'm wrong, or you can say it, but the different countries you played in, do you you remember? I have it written down. So maybe, I mean, this could be true. This could not be true, depending on how up to date the internet is. But you you let me tell you. Okay, go ahead.
0: And we'll go, we'll go from the start. So after I was drafted... I played that year in WNBA, then that would have been my first 2005 uh, fall would have been my first year. I went to Zaragoza, Spain. You did? Yeah, buddy. nobody knows. It's top secret because I I had a back injury back then. So I got sent home, I think, one and a half months into the season.
1: Oh my gosh, that does not appear on your Wikipedia page. No I played there for two years. Yep. No way. Man filter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I okay. went there. Then I went to Slovakia for two years. Yep. After Slovakia, I went to Russia, and played mm-hmm. with Seska Moscow for one year. Then I went to Spartak Vidnoy and played with Spartak for one year.
1: That's that in Russia year as well. We
0: won Euroleague.
1: That's that's also Russia.
0: Yep. Yep. That was Moscow. Okay. team in the outskirts of Moscow. Um, so you
1: played two the, years in Russia.
0: Two years in Russia, each with a different team. Okay. Um, EuroLeague
1: champs, that's a big deal.
0: EuroLeague champs. That was my team with uh, Sylvia Fowles, Sue Bird, Diana Taurasi, Annette Yakovsoni, Irina Asipova, South Sonia Petrovich. Like, we had nonstop international superstars at our disposal.
1: My, oh, my. (laughs)
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Okay, so from there, I went to Italy, and I played two years in Skio.
1: Uh-huh.
0: From Skio, I, now it's going to get dicey. I don't know if I went to Poland or Turkey next. Turkey, I I think I went to Turkey. Yes. Okay, I went to Turkey. I played one year in Janik, spelled C-I-N-A-K or something.
1: On the coast.
0: Yep. Um, from there, I went to Poland and played with Pokovice mm-hmm. in EuroLeague. From there, I don't know. I think I went back to Turkey.
1: You played another year in Turkey, yeah. Yep,
0: then I went to um, Kayseri and played in Turkey. From there, I went to China and I played... Three months in China, and then from there, I came to Sweden and have been in Sweden ever since. Yeah, that is
1: quite the repertoire of countries, uh, to say the least.
0: Now you can understand um, why I couldn't learn those languages. <laughs> Even when I was in China, China, they had me learning Mandarin so I could call plays. And I, you know, to this day, five is called Dao. I know Da-u. because Dao was my play. <laughs> when we say Dao, it's for you I'm like, okay
1: <laughs> well, I'm assuming that in almost all these countries, you probably had a translator
0: in China and in one year in Russia, that was it really? Yeah. You
1: know? wow, in- so they
0: just they throw you out there and say go get them in China, <laughs> my translator was my best friend um I lived off campus. Everybody else lived on a basketball training facility campus. Huh. Uh, they weren't allowed to leave. Only I was the only one who could come and go as I pleased. Um, they asked me to bring them snacks and stuff from the outside world. <laughs> like it, was, it was crazy. Um, they were sm- like the coaches smoked in the gym. like there's nice little haze of smoke in the gyms. And the translator, anyhow, was the only one who spoke English. My coach didn't speak English, and neither did any of the players. Hmm. So she was the only person I could communicate.
1: Right. And your teammates in all those other countries, maybe some of them spoke a little bit, but we're talking, you know, this was... This
0: was before Google Translate.
1: (laughs) Right. And now in Spain, so many people like the younger generation is learning English. So I have a lot of people on my team that know English or that have studied in the States and that came back. But when you were playing, I mean, right out of college, when you were in Slovakia, like, I'm assuming not many people spoke.
0: No, they had, uh, they were more Russian as a second language coming from Czechoslovakia, the breakup of years before. So it was more Russia second language than Slovakian. Right. English, I mean.
1: But now now look at you. You're in a foreign country where everybody speaks English.
0: Yeah, it's hard to actually learn Swedish because I can communicate with anybody and everybody here. I'm talking with grandparents of my teammates who are eighty five years old that are English is better than mine, you know, <laughs> proper. But they they learn with the 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 British dialect, so uh. it's very <laughs> There's no slang to it. It's just proper, proper <laughs> English, so it's, there, it's very, very good.
1: It's it's none of that Custer, Wisconsin, you know, no. on-the-farm English.
0: No, it's true it's really now. <laughs> no yeah, slang.
1: That's, that's really amazing to me. That picks some different questions, and uh, I'm going to just have you try to remember and you can, great. And if you can't, well, we'll leave it at that. But um, what about, I love food, right? When I travel, food is like a big deal for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have any like favorite dishes that you've eaten over the years in these different countries? Can you remember any of them? And then I'll ask you the opposite, like your least favorite. Sorry about that. Skype cut out for a second, but Janelle is currently talking about her culinary experience in Italy.
0: place in the mall called campo romano and i would go get a pizza from there and i thought it was the best pizza in the world uh it was just a little kind of hole in the wall pizza spot wicked thin barely any toppings but the flavor was just through the roof mm-hmm. um but again you know most of italy you go to napoli you know you got the good buffalo mozzarella and the you know like it's factories right next door. So it's you know, like it's right. not shipped, it's fresh and melt in your mouth type of uh cheese.
1: Yeah, you were oh. in northern northern Italy, right? Yes. I think it was. Yep. it was okay. close to Venice in the northeast. And I believe it's the team in Italy with the most prestige is what I read.
0: It is. Yeah. It is. They okay. have uh yep. Lots of titles and they have been most consistent in consistently staying at the top some teams come and go but they have always always made good teams like the okay. the the president owns you know all the grocery stores uh. in Italy basically so I mean he's got boohoo bucks and they're able to put together a wonderful lineup every mm-hmm. single year
1: okay um what about the food in China did you try like I have this stereotype in my head where I'm thinking of Crazy seafood, maybe, like, grasshoppers. I mean, I don't know.
0: So, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> street food, you know, again, my translator's like, just eat it. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, we would go to dinner, and at dinner, it was very crazy, big round table, you know, that the glass spun. So, there were so many different dishes, and again, my translator would sit with me, but people... You know, just spin the table. So the dishes come by. And as the dishes come by, you've got to quick grab things. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't get nothing. So my translator was just like, just start taking things, and I'll tell you what it is later. And that was kind of how it started. Um, she barely told me what I was eating. He's just like, oh, you will like that. Try that. Oh, this is good. Eat this. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so as long as it as long as it was, you know, appealing to look at I ate it mm-hmm. there were a few things where I was like nope that's not going in my body right I didn't know what it was did you ever have a meal sitting on the floor luckily no because I cannot sit cross-legged <laughs> and I can't get down that far <gasps> no all of our meals were at like big fancy tables with big spinny glass wheels where the food went to everybody and you just stuck your chopsticks into the meal to pull out a big piece of meat or whatever it was. I mean, there was no separate anything. You stuck the chopsticks that you stuck in your face, everybody got to share. Like it was just into the food, out, into the food, out.
1: Did you have experience with using chopsticks? Like I would think that I'd be trying and I'd spill the food all over the place.
0: I got yelled at several times for not holding my chopsticks properly. Um, I did my best. Like I, I don't mind immersing myself into the culture I didn't ask for forks and spoons. You know, I did what I could do as best I could. Um, Rice was the most challenging part because, I mean, who eats rice with chopsticks? But they do. Right. (laughs) And I I would like to say I lost a little bit of weight that year because I basically couldn't adequately feed myself in the right amount of time. But no, it it was awesome. Everything was wonderful about China. I can't, you know, I can't say that enough. It was an experience unlike any other. Um, I still speak to my translator to this day. Huh. I I remember I, I got her courtside seats when we played in New York because I always told her if I played in the WNBA, she would, you know, she, I'd get her tickets. And she ended up coming to the States to visit and try to go to college. And she came to see me play and I got her courtside seats and she got to meet all of her favorite players and everything like that. So it was, it was really cool. Like
1: Yeah, that's friends. so sweet. Yeah. Well, that makes two of us. You got me tickets back in the day, too. Did I? You did. It was the summer of 2010. And it's crazy because uh, Juanma, my Spanish, who was then my boyfriend, the two of us met in New York. And you got us tickets because he likes basketball. And the two of us went. Um, He's in the other room right now. But we went and watched you play. And then after the game, we went to this burger joint. Like kind of across the street from um, Madison, oh yeah, and we were having a burger, and all of a sudden, you know who walked in the door? You probably know who she is. She's Spanish. She played in the WNBA. It's been a while, but Amaya Valdemoro. Yeah, she walked in the door, and I was like, oh my gosh, because I knew her from Spain because she had come like through basketball. We kind of knew each other, and Juanma was just looking at me like, I cannot believe this. I haven't seen that woman once in my you know, 25 years living in Spain and I have to come to New York and you see her in this restaurant, but she must've gone to your game.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. small okay, world, small crazy. World. Did you go to, were you able to um, like go see any sites in China? Did you ever make it to the Great Wall?
0: <clears throat> so I lived a very strict lifestyle. And again, I could not go very, pla- very many places because I didn't have my translator with me because she lived in the dorm with the other athletes. Uh So I was out on my own. So no, I truly didn't get to do anything except go to and from practice twice a day um, until I left. And when I left, I had like four days or three days to myself. So I flew to Beijing. Me and my translator went and did all the touristy things. We went to Tiananmen Square, saw the lowering of the flag at sunset, um, walked around, went to Great Wall, hiked. I don't know, a couple kilometers on the great wall, got to take lots of pictures, went out at night. So got street food, did all the touristy things I could do. Um, so that was it. I was in like a 24 hour whirlwind, see everything you can see, uh, extravaganza.
1: Yeah. I mean, cause how many times you're going to get back there? You know, I think that's, that's a wonderful opportunity. Basketball can take you anywhere.
0: It truly can. And I, again, I was thankful because I don't know when I would ever get back to China even though I went back last year, actually, so, but I didn't know that at the time, so I thought that was the last time, Um, so I tried to make the most of it.
1: Yeah, Um, all right, this next question is maybe a little unfair, because I'm sure every place is beautiful in its own right, but did you have a a country, a city that you were living in that you thought was just the most beautiful out of all of them?
0: Stockholm right now is up there, I mean, yeah, yes, the, the way of life, the, the people, um, the city itself, it's it's big, but at the same time, it's not necessarily fast-paced, uh, and it's comfortable to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, I would say it's tough to narrow it down. Um,
1: Probably not Moscow. I mean, well, Russia...
0: You know, Russia had its... Beauty in its own way, but no. It was actually <laughs> so beautiful. Um Yeah. Russia in the winter is ugly as can be. Like there's snow removal, it's horrible. And it's basically six foot black snow drips because they just everything gets sloshed around and it's just nasty. So like after the first snowfall, like, oh my god, this place is gorgeous. Forty five minutes later, I mean it looks you know, like somebody had to mud fight and everything is just brown right um i'd say anything in italy the smaller smaller communities that you would go through in italy yeah that have so much history and architecture and you know the landscape is breathtaking right and the history behind it makes it that much more beautiful and
1: yeah quaint and just full of character but in turkey you were living on the coast right that must have been pretty nice
0: It was nice. I forgot kind of about Turkey because those weren't the best years. So, you know, sometimes you kind of make mental blocks on that. Um, Yep. But no, I was living on the coast of the Black Sea um, and it was, was that in the Black? I think it was on the Black. Yeah. That's the Black Sea, I think. Yeah.
1: I looked it up yesterday. It was the Black
0: Sea. Yeah. Um, The city itself was nothing special. It was very renovated. Um, Hmm. Cool looking moderns. Yes, and all the roads and landscape were under construction. Not necessarily in an English speaking city, so it was pretty secluded. Um, Right. Made the most of it, but
1: I think sometimes people forget that um, when you're playing at such a high level, you really you practice twice a day, and when you don't have two practices a day, you're tired and you just want to rest, and so it is sometimes hard to get out and see as much or really enjoy um, the places that you're in. Yes. It's,
0: it's it's a business trip. It's not a vacation, you know? So, right. And exactly that, when you do put in the time and effort, you're almost frowned upon when you don't perform and yet you're trying to have a good time the next day, because that's a day off. So it's the only day you can do something, you know, depending on how that game went, it's not always ownership. Isn't always happy to see you going to be a tourist on the mountainside or, at a spa or something, you know, like it's, it's a business. So if you don't perform, it's trouble. And
1: especially if you're in a a smaller place or you just stick out because you're white or because you look the way you look, whatever it is, um, people in town, people in town know who you are and word gets around that, Oh, so-and-so was at this place last night. No, so-and-so was, we saw her. And you know, so then, yeah, I can understand that. Uh, management, then they get mad if you don't put up, you know, 20 and 10 or whatever they're expecting out of you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's interesting that you say that you're loving Sweden so much because um, it's not just the city you're in, but it's everything, right? It's culture. It's the people that you Mm -hmm. interact with every day um, that really contribute to whether you feel good in a place or not so i was curious like sweden cuz i've played with a couple swedes and i've asked them about their country and their culture um how would you compare it like how do you feel that it's different from the united states or just the feel that it has the politics um the open mindedness i mean what what is it about it that you just love so much
0: uh i hinted on it earlier with the the pace you know it's okay. it's a big city there's lots to do there's many different aspects, um, areas you can get into. Swedes are very kind of closed off and sheltered. They're they're not like the most friendly people if you see them on the street. But I'm, you know, Google Minnesota nice and say hi to everybody. Like I walk down the street and I'm like, hey, Shanna, Shanna, hey. You know, <laughs> and normally they just kind of look at you and look back down at the ground. They don't want to interact, but occasionally you'll get some that'll be like, oh hey, you know, like have a good day and I was like you too So, like I like that it's you know a smaller open community where I where I stay at I'm not in downtown I'm in one of the little maybe upper echelon suburbs um but people are friendly and like I've met people at bus stops and a lady asked me if I wanted to smoke and I was like no smoking's bad for you (laughs) and she's like Oh no, what it was is she was, I thought she was asking me if I wanted a cigarette and I yelled at her. I was like, no, smoking's bad. I don't want to do that. She's like, oh, I wasn't offering you. I was just going to tell you I was smoking so you oh. could move. <laughs> so then I started talking to her and like, we talked for five or, five or 10 minutes until the bus came and then we got on the bus and we went to our different stops and, you know, never saw her again. <laughs> but it was, it was very not Swedish of her in my mind, um, but I liked it, you know, like it opened up. Yeah. Um, What else? Uh, Basketball. I like the situation with basketball because they are driven, like they want to improve, but they don't have the best coaching or um, development at a younger age. So Uh actually I'm in coaching right now and I coach you 17 girls. Hmm. Uh, It's the same team I've had the last three years. So I started with, they were uh, U15 last year, U16, and this year, U17. So I was actually kind of hired to change the culture of uh, basketball in the younger generation in my club. And I feel like I have. Uh, Unfortunately, I think I had seven quit in the first two weeks my first year. Wow. But I almost had 25 kids on the team also. Uh. You know, so it was... A meeting place for friendship, you know, like all the buddies played basketball, and that's what they did. So once some of the players started to want to improve with their level, others didn't, you know. So it just kind of separated the herd. Uh
1: huh. Um, that's still a lot of people on one team, though. It's a lot of people on one team. It was
0: tough as a new coach, Leslie. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> it was tough. Right now, in my third year, I'm down to uh, eleven. Okay, so
1: good for you. And I'm assuming, obviously, you're coaching in English. So that's cool because they get to be around you for a couple hours.
0: Yep. I mean, their English has improved tremendously uh, and as has everything else that they have gotten from playing, you know, the teamwork Uh aspect, the leadership roles, the communication. Um, I'm trying to explain to them it's more than just basketball because, you know, I don't know who is going to actually go on and do something with basketball at this age. A couple of them have desires and, and want and the drive to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to explain to them the lifestyle it can give them if they really, really want it and put it into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like, yeah. I like what I'm doing.
1: Well, good for you. I mean, obviously they're, they're happy with you as well, if that's your third year, so you're doing something right. Yep. And it, but it is interesting, like the different countries because I know the Swedish national team Is different than, let's say, the Spanish national team. You know, as far as like um, if players get paid to play for their national team, how much gear they get, uh, hotels that they stay in, certain countries just put more emphasis on certain things. And I've heard that the Swedish national team is pretty bare bones.
0: Bare bones is a good (laughs) way to put it. Um, I think they get a trip to wherever the national team is being prepared right Uh, they don't have to pay for the hotel and they might get a practice outfit um yeah and they might have to give that practice outfit back i don't know (laughs) like
1: right but the
0: actual team in sweden is not it's not their bread and butter for sure
1: right but they have some good players that have come out of there i mean amanda zawi she's You know, she's WNBA, and um, I think they'll be improving over the years. But right now, you know, they're just not quite there yet.
0: So they have good players. Like, don't get it twisted that they don't have good players. It's just they don't put money into the national team like they could, in my mind, to create the best team possible. But then again, they don't have the money to put in in some aspects.
1: But it's like priorities, right? Because Sweden as a country, I feel like they're doing really well.
0: They are. They're doing well. But in women's basketball, it's kind of a hit or miss. You might find a company that wants to support, so therefore they become a sponsor. But the majority of the country is for football or handball hmm. or interbandy, which is like floorball. You know, indoor hockey, basically. Uh, Okay. So there are multiple sports that get more attention than women's basketball.
1: Yeah.
0: Men's basketball at the highest level does, but, you hmm. know, some countries, second division teams would make more money than Swedish's first division teams
1: mm-hmm. and players. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is, I guess. And hopefully it just continues to get better. But um,
0: hopefully I don't, I don't see it in the near future, though. <laughs>
1: Um, and you made a comment earlier that kind of made me laugh. You said when you walk down the street and you're saying hello to people, you said something like, you know, they're not really looking to interact with you. Do you think that's why the coronavirus hasn't been such a deal in Sweden?
0: (laughs) Okay, so about that, I came here with probably 40 masks, you know, like I was prepared. I had homemade masks. I had N95s. And I wore it the first day, and people stared at me like I had the plague. I was just trying not to, you know, I was trying to do what I was taught to do. Um, But after the first day, I stopped wearing it. So with that, the virus here, they did herd immunity. They said they did a very poor job protecting the elderly, but everybody else they didn't care about. So it was, Hmm. you know, kind of fend for yourself. If you want to go out, go out. If you don't want to go out, you stay home and protect yourself. Um, So, I mean, life went on as normal for quite some time. And they had high rates. And even now, I think they had a lot of deaths, but now the death rate has almost completely stopped and infection rates are down. Hmm. So, you know, like it came, it hit hard, but then it went away. And now it's different. You know, now, again, life is back to normal in the aspect of I might see one or two people wearing a mask in a day and it's just not even a thing almost yeah. in the States. You know, it's still spreading like wildfire and the places that was safe is now not safe because it never hit there. Right. You know, we're here, Like, you know, everybody thought they were doing the right thing by doing what they were doing. And then Sweden got pummeled kind of in the news about how bad they did. But now, Hmm. you know, I don't know. It's (laughs) I'm not educated enough to know what I should or should not do when it comes to a mask, you know, but like they didn't do it. I did in the States, you know, I went to stores wearing my mask. I did everything I needed to do, stayed out and here it was non-existent. Like if you have it, it was almost like a chicken pox party. Like, (laughs) <laughs> Yo, I got the Rona. Like, go it, come get it. Right.
1: And then you've got your immunity. So then you're good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting yeah. because every country is so different here in Spain. The mask is mandatory wherever you go. So I walk down the street and every single person I see is wearing a mask. Um, and then as far as basketball goes in Spain, like different c- autonomous communities like the community of Madrid supposedly if you're playing a sport inside you should be wearing a mask but then if you go to Salamanca or if you go to uh, Valencia there it's not mandatory Um, so a friend of mine she plays for a second division team here in Madrid and she said they all wore masks the other day at practice and and she said it was okay like they had this certain type of mask it wasn't that uncomfortable blah 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 but my team we've been practicing hopefully nobody's listening to this that's important <laughs> we have not been wearing masks yeah. um so but the only game we've played has been in Valencia and there you don't have to wear masks so we were able to play a game uh, without so are them are
0: you able to come and go from each community without or er, not without wearing a mask but like without quarantine or checkpoint
1: or anything we're able to go anywhere we want right now in Spain um, but we went in our own bus you know and before we went we had to do the nose test um, yeah to see if we you know we're all safe and healthy so and then this season they're talking about the 72 hours before each game each team is gonna have to do one of those nose tests the difficult part about that is that for a whole season to test your whole team, your staff, your doctor, your physical therapist, your strength and conditioning coach, a whole year, that might tally up to like 60,000 euros. Yes,
0: and bankrupt.
1: so not, <laughs> for not many teams have the extra dough to do something like that. So I don't know exactly how they're going to go about it. I don't think they've come out with a like set protocol yet. But what about in Sweden? So you guys don't have to take tests or anything.
0: Let me tell you, my (laughs) whole team budget isn't even worth 60 million or 60,000 euros. Yeah. Like, we take a train, we take the worst time train through the night to a game, play, take that shitty train home. (laughs) I mean, we're on, you know, bare budget cuts with anything and everything here. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, we would, no tests, no masks. The only thing they're talking about doing is limiting the number of fans in the arenas. Mm. And without sounding harsh, I mean, we didn't get but 100 fans to most games. So, cutting that to 50 or whatever they think is a safe number isn't going to be so dramatic. Right. I think there's two teams in our league that draw 500 or more fans. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's only in the big games. So, yeah, it's not. It'll be different in the aspect of most places won't have fans, but it won't be unbearable.
1: Right. Once you're finally playing and you're in the game, I don't really notice if there are fans or not. I mean, I obviously love having fans there, and when they do cheer loudly, you notice. But a lot of times in games, like I, I think I go deaf. Like yeah, I can. I, agree with that. I can hear my point guard, but a lot of times I don't hear anything else.
0: No. So. It's the it's the noise that's important that you take in even hecklers or, you know, opposing fans trying to distract you at free throws or something like I'm oblivious. You could say the worst things about, you know, anything and everything and it would go in one ear and out the other and i gonna make my free throw smile and go <laughs> on about my business.
1: Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you out of all, all the countries that you played in, did you always feel safe? and, like, welcomed in that country?
0: <clears throat> um, yes, I got stories on for days on Russia.
1: <laughs> well, there's one in particular. I don't know if we can talk about it or not, so I'm going to edit this, but I did want to ask you about it. Oh,
0: how come we couldn't talk about it?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know. That's up to you.
0: Oh, okay. What do you want to talk about?
1: Well, I feel like I'm trying to remember what year this was but I remember sending you a Facebook message or something like that because I had heard about it from somebody that there was a, like an assassination. And I'm pretty sure you told me you were in the car.
0: Okay, so this, (laughs) yeah, it's a true story. I wasn't in the car though. Okay. Um, Okay, so when I played in Russia, when we won EuroLeague uh, that year with Spartak Moscow, um, it was November 2nd. And our owner was Shata Ivan Kalamovic. And he had built the super team with Sue, Diana, Lauren, Sylvia, you know, the years before. Tina Thompson played on this team. So, I mean, it was stacked. Tisha Tisha, Tisha Penichero, like, just stacked. Um, And this was the year we won. So, November 2nd, he was coming to pick us all up because he got us... VIP tickets to Beyonce because my birthday was November 3rd. Oh, my God. We were, you know, all balling, like ready to go to Beyonce. And we were sitting at his office and we were waiting for like 45 minutes or an hour. And he just never showed up. And all of a sudden the drivers started getting. Okay, so we all had drivers, too. Um, All the drivers started getting together and they were like, you know, hushed murmurs and looking around over their shoulders. And the next thing we know, we turned on the TV and there's video of this guy being pulled out of a car all bloody and I don't know if your podcast is g-rated or whatever but uh it uh he was shot 19 times with uh it was a a drive-by where the car pulled up next to him put two semi-automatic weapons to the window and pulled the trigger the driver was hit once and survived but my owner was killed And a week earlier, I was in the car with him and he was he was driving. So, you know, it was just kind of wow, dumb coincidence (laughs) that nobody was in the car with him when this happened. Um, And he always talked about how people were going to people wanted to kill him, but nobody was ever stupid enough to try. Um, And that he bragged about it. The back of his car was bulletproof.
1: Wow. But he
0: sat in the front seat because he said nobody would ever try.
1: Um. So I'm assuming, I mean, little old me and my little opinions here, but you think about Russia and I just think about, I've never lived there. So I only know what the news tells me. Right. But is this like just a big mafia? Like there's probably a lot of dirty money being passed around. I mean, why would yes. something like that happen?
0: So, Shabtai was former KGB. He was not allowed in the United States, in England, or in Israel. He spent eight years in an Israeli jail for espionage. Um, and yes, a lot of his money was probably not legal. He, Rumor was told he rose too fast in his pharmaceutical industry, and he was trying to get deeper into politics faster than he should have. So... Mm-hmm. Rumor again had it that the person who had him killed was probably at his funeral. So,
1: man, that's straight out of a movie. It
0: was, it was cringy, you know. Like, I mean, we thought we talked about it, you know, we looked around like it could have been him or her or her. Like, (laughs) it's crazy.
1: Wow, because then, yeah, you guys all went to the funeral.
0: Yeah, we had two funerals. We, We had a like a cast, an Not an open casket, I don't think. Maybe it was open. I don't even remember. In the gym, uh, two days after it happened, or one day, like, it was quick because they needed to fly him to Israel because he had a plot in Israel that he was going to be buried at. So then they flew us in a private plane with the body in the undercarriage, and
1: we went to to Israel Israel for
0: a day to bury him.
1: Wow, that is crazy.
0: So the only time I've ever been to Israel was like an 18-hour trip to bury my general manager who had been assassinated.
1: Unreal.
0: Murdered.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming the Beyonce concert, was you didn't go? Or did you go? Make,
0: we didn't make that Beyonce concert, no. <laughs> I rode home in my car, slouched lower than the window, because I was scared for my life. I mean... It was, back then, you know, it wasn't, not funny, but it was real. You know, like, my dude just got murdered, and I was supposed to be in the car.
1: Yeah. Well, so that that's probably, what, your, your biggest
0: story as far as, like, feeling safe? Yes. Or... <laughs> yes. That was a big one. Um, in Turkey, I will say I was in a very religious place in Kayseri, mm-hmm. um, and they did not take kindly to me tanning in in the nude. <laughs> I was not in the nude, Leslie. I, was, I had on a tank top and spandex shorts. They're like spandex tights, you know, to the thigh over your okay. quad. Okay. I didn't even have a swimsuit because I was like, you know, it just happened to be a nice day. No, no swimsuit, nothing. I had a tank top that covered everything and spandex that went almost to my knee and they were not happy about that they would stand and yell at me from the road oh my
1: goodness so you were you were like in the patio of your house
0: yes I was in the grass of my house and luckily there was a fence between us and the road and I mean people would stand there and yell and say stuff to me and I just (laughs) whatever bro (laughs) don't look like, I understand, you know, like I'm in their area, but there was nowhere for me not to be seen. So how can I
1: Yeah, can get I your vitamin D? <laughs>
0: I'm just trying to live my best life, get some of that turkey sun.
1: So in that area of Turkey, like, is that where were women walking around with the full? Uh, yes, there were. Did you ever feel like your sexual preference wasn't? you weren't able to be open about it in in
0: the countries that you were in? In Turkey, no. Like, maybe because I didn't have anybody to be open with, so (laughs) it was never a thing. Okay. But in Russia, yeah, there were times I thought I was going to get my ass beat in a parking lot. I ain't going to lie. Really? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, so, again, I'm pretty handsome, of course. Uh, So a lot of the times, they would think i was a boy so they were okay with it uh, until they understood i wasn't a boy you know uh, and then yeah. they're like oh the you know <laughs> i'm like <laughs> oh, shit <laughs> so once yeah um there were a few times walking in the mall i was followed thinking i was gonna have to defend myself i learned self-defense tactics i rocked my keys in my knuckles Um, and I was ready to swing on anybody who got close. I think a couple times I did take a knife places. Like, I don't know what I would have been able to do with it. If it was (laughs) a backpack, you know, and something happened, like, I thought it was something more than nothing. Right. But yeah, I was, I mean, I didn't look for anything, but I was ready for something in a self-defense atmosphere because I know Russia and I know the laws of Russia and lesbians and gays are truly looked down upon and have absolutely no rights so if somebody takes you to the corner and whoops your ass it's almost your fault
1: man yeah i uh here in spain um marriage same-sex marriage was allowed before it was even allowed in the states Mm -hmm. and it always kind of just called my attention because Spain in some aspects is like more traditional, um, you know, very Catholic. Um, sometimes people could say machistic country, but then at other times they have, you know, rights that they had here before we even had in the States, the land of the free, you know? And, um, so that always kind of jumps out at me, but it's very accepted here, you know, Um, you can love whoever you want, be happy, walk down the street. And I don't think anybody feels, you know, at, in harm's way whatsoever.
0: I would say Sweden is the exact same in that aspect. I remember coming here somewhere between two thousands and 2005. Uh, and I fell in love with it. And I actually said to the person I was dating at that time, I was going to retire here Hmm. and play my last games in Stockholm, simply because, I love the, like we talked about earlier, the atmosphere, the people, you know, the, the safe feeling, nothing is frowned upon. If you want to live your life like this, you live your life like that. If you want to do this, you do that. Everybody's very, you know, eyes on their own bobber in that aspect, to <laughs> quote Dave Strummy. <laughs> I was trying to think, where does, <laughs> how well, do I know that? Happened, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Dave I'm Strummy. <laughs> High school Harriet, keep your eye on your own bobber, act like you've been there before. All Dave Strummy quotes.
1: Yep. Was he there all four? No, he wasn't there all four years, was he?
0: No, I don't think he was there my... He wasn't there my first year. Right. Because I had Brenda Oldfield, Brenda Fries, who's at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then he wasn't there my senior year, I think. Or maybe he was. I don't even remember. I think maybe he wasn't there your senior year. Yeah. you year he wasn't... after me.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. Happened. Keep your eye on your own bobber. <laughs> keep
0: your eye on your own bobber. Dave Scrummy. <laughs> Shout out to Duluth, Minnesota. There
1: you go. There you go. Um, okay. And you made this comment. You're like, well, I'm pretty good looking, pretty handsome. You know, <laughs> I got to ask you, do you still cut your own hair?
0: I do. I do. do you? I do. There's been, I think, maybe three times in the last... I want to say, okay, maybe I'll say five times in the last 15 years that I've actually got it done professionally. Otherwise I do it when I'm overseas or I will have my brother do it when I come home.
1: Okay. And those five times, was there a special event or what was the deal?
0: Uh, yeah, my best friend got married. So of course she, you know, she wanted a fancy updo. uh, Uh, and then, uh, you know, I can't really remember, but I remember getting stuff done. Okay. I okay. wanted cut in color. And one of the reasons I went back to cutting my own hair is because she charged me for a female haircut and color job. And I think my bill was like $150. And I had about 10 to 15 centimeters of hair that she cut to about 10 centimeters and then died. You know, so I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Right. Just because I'm a female, I'm buying a $10 box of hair dye and I'm cutting myself. So that's been ever since.
1: Okay. Well, it looks good. It's nice. And I guess I didn't realize it was so wavy curly.
0: It's yeah, it depends on the day and the product I use, but it can be pretty wavy. And my actually my the back of my hair gets curly as well. So I got them long, long, I got curls in the back.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: different. I i switch it up. I mean, I've done everything in the book. I shaved it completely. I had my little MM look in Italy one year. I shaved it completely and dyed it blonde. Um, I mean, I've had everything pigtails, braids, everything. yeah. Mullet. Well, that... I had the mullet one year in Minnesota. When
1: I was oh, gosh, thanks.
0: <laughs> my first year back, and they had a, a mullet contest between like the Vikings and the Twins or something. And I got in on that, so I rocked my arm <laughs> Um, Do you wear a headband? Not anymore. Um, okay. I do sometimes just strictly to keep it back because now it's in my eyes, so mm. I kind of have to do that, but I don't wear a headband, a big, thick NBA headband. It'd be more of a thin, rubbery headband to uh, just hold it back, keep sure. it on my face.
1: Well, the fact that you have so much experience cutting your own hair was probably a good thing during quarantine because...
0: It it did not affect me.
1: Right. People
0: (laughs) people were looking a mess and I was looking good. (laughs) I I can't help it.
1: All right, Janelle, um, another question. Just tell me a little bit about the different fan bases, um, on, in the different countries you've played for, if there's a country where the fans are just crazier than others.
0: Definitely. Uh, so, Russia had a very decent fan base um, with the, the higher teams having a couple hundred fans. Uh, Italy, though, had the most consistent and most aggressive and most passionate fans, I would say, uh, overall. I remember the finals between uh, Skio and Taranto, where both gyms were packed. I think Skio had, you know, I think 2,000, 2,500 It was standing room only, you know, you couldn't even get in the gym. Um, And then down at Toronto, I think they had 3,000 or 4,000 and the court, they were just on top of you. Um, And they all had these pregame rituals where they tear up paper, they do chants, they throw them in the air, you know, it looks like confetti and stuff. And it's just the atmosphere that Italy brought and the intensity in women's basketball was higher than anywhere I've actually seen In all of Europe.
1: Did they use blowhorns? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Almost anything to make noise at times. Right. Like somebody would have a cowbell. Like cowbells were big for some reason. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It was just ding, 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 ding. And that was it. Uh, There was no woo -woo or anything like, you know, like, just loud, aggressive people at times. Yeah. I went to a couple of games
1: in Italy and had that same experience and was pretty impressed. Like, wow, this is crazy. But I remember sitting in front of some little kids one time and they were blowing those blowhorns like every two seconds. And I almost had to get up and, and sit somewhere else because I was like, I cannot, <laughs> I yeah. cannot have this blowhorn going off in my ear every two seconds during the whole game. It's a bit much. But um, the parents don't care. They love it. They just yeah. let them do it, and yeah. The
0: atmosphere, wearing out the energy or the getting all the energy out. Uh, I'll talk about Turkey though. So Turkey, <clears throat> Turkey has some very big clubs uh, in Galatasaray, Fenerbahce, Besiktas. You know, and they if you are a part of a club that has a good football team, the football fans are basically hooligans, and then. They become your hooligans when you play other teams. So for the most part, 95% of the games, there's 100, 400 people in a game. But you play Galatasaray versus Fenerbahce, and all of a sudden they can fill up a 5,000-seat arena because Hmm. you got hooligans on each side. So when I was in the Final Four, or the, the Elite Eight in EuroLeague, it was in Turkey, and there were two Turkish teams... And I remember it just turned into a massive riot at the end of the games where they were throwing flashbang grenades, smoke grenades. The police are there. There's probably at least 100 police separating the two rival hooligan sections. And it just turned out to be utter chaos. The fans don't care about the game. They just don't like the other team. So they're straight up giving the finger, yelling obscenities. I remember they <laughs> They throw coins on the court, and they throw firecrackers on the court. You know, like, it was an unreal playing experience. And, I mean, you can actually Google this and see Fenerbahce Galli Tesserai basketball game video. And I was there. They moved us from the front row. Like, you talked about with the kids blowing the things. They moved us from the front row because the hooligans were so aggressive they thought they were going to come over and, like, possibly hurt us. Wow! They moved us from the front row to the top row of the arena, so we were the highest above the fans. We were watching the game. Okay. So it was the two Turkish teams playing, and all the other teams were still there watching to see the final who advance. You know, because it was final eight or elite eight.
1: Uh huh. And these fans, the hooligans, they're actually soccer fans, but then they would just come watch the basketball as
0: well. They didn't come watch basketball. They just came to support the club right fight the other club
1: <laughs> wow
0: like honestly i have video where i'm there you know and i almost take a selfie and then i pan out and the hooligans are like on my shoulder yelling <laughs> stuff and they're yelling to the other team across the way yeah like it mind-blowing i'll actually send you something i'll send you some. <laughs>
1: Um. Yeah, it is crazy though because you hear about those soccer fans, like Serbian fans and whatnot, and like people have have died. I oh, mean, yeah. they go crazy. Um.
0: It, it is not something to take lightly. And no. even At the basketball games, there the they do the best to separate. So if you have like a real arena and you're looking kind of from up top, looking down, you see the scorers table. And there's like a seat of 20 seats. Those are all empty. And in the middle, they have three rows of police. And on the edge, they have two rows of police. And then on the left side, they have those fans. And on the right side, they have the other fans. So they can't get to each other. You would think, but they get to each other. And they throw bombs and fast grenades and firecrackers at everybody. And they start the place on fire. And in this Euroleague Final Four, or Elite Eight that I'm talking about, I think the Fenerbahce Club and the Gala Club were each fined like 20,000 and 30,000 euros for the damage that the hooligans did after the game in the stadium. They just tore seats apart. You know, they use anything as weapons and throw it across. It's crazy.
1: Wow. So would you say that the majority of these fans are
0: men? No. The majority, yes. Yes but it's not excluded too. Right. I've seen a woman given the double finger bird <laughs> right next to the her boyfriend given the double finger bird. You know, <laughs> I've seen kids. Kids are in these sections. Like you're taught from a young age you bleed, you know, blue and yellow. You bleed orange and crimson. Like you bleed white and black. Wow. And these are all three teams in in uh what the hell is the city name? Istanbul. Yeah. You know, so it just depends on which side of the tracks you're brought up upon as to who you cheer for.
1: Wow. So you, I'm sure people don't even like get married to someone from the other side.
0: No, not really. That's, <laughs> that's probably a deal breaker. Like, it's Unbelievable. funny make a scene between a Bears fan and a Packer fan, Like I don't know if they could do it. Yeah. I don't know if they could do it.
1: Okay. I'm thinking about another question. Just curious, like throughout your career, did you ever have problems with visas or like being able to fly, being legal, any of that stuff?
0: No. Uh, I was kind of always on top of my paperwork for the most part. Okay. Um, Occasionally overseas something might happen. And I think one time I had to leave Turkey and go to a different country for a day and come back. So I was fine, but no, for the most part, nobody ever stopped me. Nobody ever questioned me for okay. control. Even when I came here to Sweden, I have a residence card, so I just yeah. walked right in. They, I didn't have to take a corona test. I didn't have to do anything. They're like, why are you coming? I said, I live here. They're like, okay, what do you do? I play basketball. Okay, let me see your card. Showed him my card. He's like, okay. Yeah. So, you know, no, for the most part, I've never had problems. One time when I was coming home from Russia, so my season ended, I was coming home from Russia and I got off my plane and I walked into the Berlin customs where you had to show passport control and I didn't have that passport. I left it on the plane. So Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to get left in Germany for quite some time. Uh, (gasps) and ultimately I explained to them the plane I was on, where I sat, what exactly I thought happened. And sure enough, it was in my left pocket I was against the wall. It fell out and went between the seats. And I told them exactly that. I'm like, you got to look between the seat, between the wall and the seat. It'll be there. And as I was sitting there crying in customs because I didn't have a passport and I didn't know how I was getting into the states, they come running with my passport up, and I'm like, oh my god. So (laughs) then my flight was about to leave, and they ran me through the airport, got me on the flight, and When I was in the air, some stewardess came and told me that, like, somebody's going to meet you in Chicago. And I was like, okay, fine. Well, Customs got the order that I'd lost the passport already, so they were there to escort me from the plane to the police department to make sure, or in the airport police department, to make sure I was who I was and everything happened and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. And I was like, well, I got my passport. And they're like, all right, well, we're already here, so just come with us anyhow. So then... I bypassed the ten thousand people in
1: you know in the in line, in line. border border yeah, control
0: border, border <laughs> customs or border control. But yeah, that was about the only time I ever had document trouble. And I lost my passport.
1: Yeah, that's uh, ooh, that's.
0: Ooh, I got another one for you. I got another <laughs> one for you.
1: The floor is all yours. Go ahead.
0: No, so I went to China. On day one in China, I'm sitting in my airport waiting for my translator to show up. Translator shows up. I get up. I leave. We get to the next airport because we had to change from terminal A to terminal B, from the international to the domestic. No passport. Shit. It was on my lap when I was sitting in the chair. I knew exactly what happened. Went back, wasn't there, started crying. (laughs) Went to Lost and Found, and they had my passport at Lost and Found. Wow. I still caught my flight. Day one averted, day one disaster averted. And. I went on to play in China. (laughs) Uh, That's just like
1: your heart just sinks. Like when you realize you don't have your passport. Oh my gosh. But hey, that's...
0: I get nervous when I can't find it in my own house. (laughs) Shit, where did I put it? I'm not gonna be able to go anywhere. But then when you're there, and you're like, I lost my passport and I'm in China. Like, Mm -hmm. What am I gonna do?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, as they say in Spain, tienes un flor en el culo. Like, you have a flower in your ass, which means you have really good luck. Yeah. Yeah. Sure do. And all of your flights that you've taken over the years, like, have you ever had... I'm assuming you don't mind flying, otherwise this life would be pretty hard. But as far as, like, turbulence or getting home, snowstorms,
0: I don't know, any any flight experiences? Lots of flight experiences. So... I have a small airport in central Wisconsin called CWA, Central Wisconsin Airport. It's a 45 minute flight from Minneapolis and Chicago, but I don't take it. I fly directly into Chicago or Minneapolis and then I drive home simply because for multiple Christmases, I never made it home that day I was supposed to. So I would get to Chicago, I'd have to go through customs, get your luggage, put your luggage back on leave international, take that train to whichever terminal I was at, recheck in, get to my gate, flight's delayed, flight left. I cried. So I lost, I lost that. I I said, I bought my dad a big truck. I said, dad, I don't care what it takes. Get your ass to Chicago. Be waiting for me. If you need to put the plow on the front, we are getting home. So that is how I come home. Yeah, my, my worst travel days were early on when I played in small countries. It took maybe a 26, 28 day travel time with three or four flights to get where I was going.
1: Mm.
0: My luggage yeah. never made it. Um, <laughs> tough.
1: Um, but, Janelle, I must say, I didn't realize that you were so quick to uh, shed some tears. Look,
0: after 26 <laughs> hours, and you are. <laughs> Four-hour drive from home, and you can't get there. And Christmas is on the doorstep, and one of your five days at home is wasted in an airport. You are quick to shed tears. Let me tell you, <laughs> oh, biggest hard ass in the world. <laughs> a I mean, I remember sobbing to people. Can Can I cut you? My flight's about to leave. Like, <laughs> oh my god! People become so nice. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, I hope you make it. And then you get to the gate and you're crying and they start, and those people that let you pass walk past you. It's like, oh man, I feel bad. But yeah. I stopped doing that. <laughs>
1: yeah. When you have so few days for Christmas, I mean, it's like.
0: They're ah. precious.
1: Yeah. This year, I think we only have two days, so I won't be coming home, unfortunately, but well, in coronavirus, I don't know. But
0: yeah, agreed. I, I have, I think if I had time, we would have four because we play in the nineteenth, and then we play on the sixth, and we would practice
1: hmm. the
0: majority of that time and only have a few days off.
1: I think I should look at my schedule, but we might play on the. I'm pretty sure we're practicing on the twenty seventh.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: Yeah, but um,
0: we, we we will practice on the thirty first on the thirty first in the morning, and then I think. The second. So, like, we'll get the first off. Uh-huh. But for the most part, it's all business. Yep. Yep. Even for being, like, an amateur team, still business. Right.
1: Right. Okay. We're getting to the end here. But uh, what do you think, like, if you were to give advice to young kids that are thinking about coming over to Europe um, to have a career overseas, Is there any type of advice that you would give them as far as the type of mentality that they should have, what to expect? I mean, I know each country is different, each team is different, um, depending on how much money they have, whatever, but like resources, gyms, um, all that.
0: Yeah, you know, I would say more people could come to Europe in my mind because I think there are plenty of jobs available if you're willing to take whatever pay they have to offer. I would say Mm -hmm. right now I am probably the lowest paid American in Sweden Hmm. simply because I wanted to be here at this team and it's the only team in Stockholm that plays at the highest level. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play in another place. So I just agreed to it. Um, You know, some people, money's more than everything. Other players, you know, you could take a pay cut and get good experience, be a good leader and contribute to a good team at the same time as helping them. But that's not always the case. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I would say even, you know, like higher level D three players in my mind could find teams in Europe. They just don't necessarily have that understanding or the ability to have an agent contact them. Um, So Mm -hmm. I would push that. To be honest, I would give people the option to get overseas because they can contribute and find jobs. Yeah.
1: I think it all depends on your priorities. Like, do you want quality of life? Do you just want the money? Um, because I don't know. I think about myself, you're, you're going to live somewhere for seven, eight months. Like you better be happy off the court. Otherwise that's a long eight months. Um, as far as like climate, food, um, what type of people, like the personality, cause I've heard people in Russia, like are very cold. Um... Very, like
0: the weather. I mean, damn. <laughs> yeah. You know, here in Sweden to the North in Lulio, they get three hours of daylight, you know, through the winter, through the December, January months. Mm. Like, that's, that's rough life. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand what you're getting into. Like you said, for quality of life early mm-hmm. in my career I chased the money it was right tough. I got wore down you know it was, it was a job it wasn't fun anymore mm-hmm. uh, and at some point in there I think I tried to retire tried to retire twice um, but then ended up falling back in love with it and carrying on and here yeah. I am you know going on 38 this year and
1: it's impressive Janelle it's very impressive <laughs> I Some days, turn
0: Leslie, I can't do it, but other days, they <laughs> can't guard me, so <laughs> torn.
1: Well, I saw your, there was like a highlight video of this past year. Um, I don't know if I saw it on Facebook or Instagram or where I saw it, but I just watched your video and cracked up because I'm like, there's Janelle doing her thing. Like, doesn't matter against who or how old she is. Like, she's still got it.
0: Yep. <laughs> that's, that's kind of my field fe- uh, same. Uh, I, again, I think about I should retire and let these young kids do more and, you know, uh, sit back and watch. But then at the same time, I'm like, these young kids can't guard me. The old kids can't guard me so why not? Yeah. Um, but no, the idea, the idea with me being here is coaching and playing. So like I said, I coach the 17s. I'm also assistant coach on my team as well. So I handle some of the practice duties. I play. We'll stop and say, okay, talk about defense now. And then I have to talk about defense after having played defense. So I'm sitting there huffing and puffing with my pulse going, trying to gasp for breath at the same time as telling people how they need to position their body better to get uh, a better trap or a better hard hedge. Um, You have the best post players in Sweden. There's, you know, nobody else does footwork. And it's all stuff that I've learned through the years that have helped me maintain my career you know like I'm not the fastest I'm not the most athletic but I can beat you with my footwork and I try to explain that to people and I feel like I've done a good job with this team in creating actual post players and them understanding the importance of being inside because you know European post players love love to pick and pop and love to pick and pop and love to pick and pop and not too many that love to pick and roll or when they do pick and roll, what do they do inside besides a fall away jumper or go away from the basket? Right. So anyhow, I, Like I said, I was trying to change that whole culture with my club,
1: man. I wish I could come and practice on your team. <laughs> Cause I don't feel like I have, I've had, you know, a real good post coach since I've come to Europe, to be there honest.
0: There's no post coach, like not even a good post coach to me. There's none. There's none. Mm-hmm. So I now am getting towards the end. I've thought what I can do to further my career. And I mean that's kind of been my thought is go in along the lines of post coach and footwork and teaching inside positioning and how to use your body inside. And basically the things we were taught as eighteen and nineteen year old freshmen coming into college through those years that has been with us forever, that no European has
1: hmm.
0: They're whether you're six, five or five, three, you do the same offensive ball handling drills. You do the same shooting drills, but you don't do inside stuff ever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they need somebody with size who can do inside stuff.
1: Yeah. One of my teammates said yesterday, she looked at me, she's from Portugal and she's like, Leslie, I'm tired of playing the post,
0: and I was like,
1: I was like, why, Soph? She's like, well, everybody just shoots it. You know, if they do pass it to me, it's a bad pass. She's like, I just feel like I run from baseline to baseline, and nobody even looks at me, and I just felt bad for it because playing the post is a lot of work, banging, trying to fight for position, rebounding. It's so much work. And the days that I do more pick and pop instead of pick and roll, I think about it. I'm like, man, this is easy. Like I don't have to fight with anybody.
0: it's so true. Like I've tried to create my game to be more pick and pop because I don't want to have that contact. Right. The crave. Now my back is old and my body don't want that, but Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get them young kids to do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Footwork. I mean, you said you're not the most athletic or the fastest. Well, neither is Luka Doncic, you know, and yeah. And change of change of direction and change of pace. Yes. Um,
0: that's a prime example right there, because that boy is deadly. But <laughs> by first look, you would say he's not going to do nothing.
1: Right. Yeah, kind of like somebody else we know.
0: Sure is. <laughs> Point guard at that.
1: <laughs> Lindsay Whalen, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, coming to the end here, finally. um, A couple quick questions. Why... I feel like I should know this, but why do you wear the number four? And is that the number that you've always worn? Or Well, I don't know. Do you wear number four now?
0: I do not wear number four now. I Overseas, I have a few different numbers. I've worn four, eight, and 44. Okay. Um, I think in the States, I've always been four. So I wore four. I loved Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin at Cincinnati uh, was just a beast. He's a little bit older. You probably don't even recognize the name. Anyhow, he uh, he broke his leg. He was so good. He broke his leg his senior year and still went number one. Uh. And it was his intensity, his work ethic, and drive that I fell in love with. And, I mean, he was a good player, but he wasn't anything special in a way. So, I mean, that, I don't want to say it like that. We had a lot of likeness between each other. So, I kind of... Asserted myself that I was just like him, and so happened I went number one, also. But you know, it was just him, everything he brought, what he brought to the table.
1: Ah, uh, I can handle that, I can deal with that. Um, it's not
0: Favre. don't get it twisted, Favre. you know,
1: Wisconsin. We can, say, we can say
0: it was Favre, but it wasn't,
1: yeah. Well, I said Wisconsin, but then he ended up coming to the Vikings for a year, didn't he? Yeah.
0: Yeah, And then the Jets. I mean, all places I've played, actually. <laughs> I was in Minnesota. I was in New York. So,
1: What about when you go overseas, is there any specific food product that you bring with you that you know you're not going to be able to
0: find? For a while, it was peanut butter. Um, yeah. I love me some Jif creamy peanut butter. <laughs> but yep. now, no. You know, I think the only thing I bring now is actually... Some uh, Walmart Great Value uh, Kool-Aid packets so I can have flavored water. Because I will say, one thing Sweden has is delicious water. For being a major metropolis city, the water is delicious. Hmm. So, I drink a lot of water. Very healthy. But, at the end of the day, sometimes you need a little flavor. Um, So, that's about the only thing I bring is actual packets. Some... Pink lemonade some cherry pomegranate you know something that just gets the taste buds going
1: (laughs) okay yeah madrid actually has great water too i do not notice the difference between the water in madrid and the water in minnesota yeah oh yeah
0: same stockholm i mean they're proud they're proud of their water
1: (laughs) well they they have when i was looking on google maps and just kind of zooming in like they have so many waterways over there i mean there's water everywhere
0: yeah, Stockholm is basically 14 islands. Yeah. Built between, and then between the coast of Stockholm, like 50 miles north and 50 miles south, not even, maybe 25 miles. Um, I think they said they have like 24,000 islands. Wow. So it's, just, it's just the Swedish archipelagos. I mean, it's yeah. a beautiful place. Lots yeah. of water.
1: Very cool. Um, on the court, do you have a favorite go-to move? You have a lot of them, but is there one that like you always go to?
0: Uh, I like my little one-legged Dirk fadeaway. Okay. You know, Dirk's got his little fadeaway. I have a similar move to that. Um, it's almost unguardable, you know, dude's seven feet tall. Nobody here's that much bigger than me. So therefore you know, a little fade away, pretty little space, nobody's mm-hmm. going to block it. All you got to do is make it.
1: Which is in, which is interesting because in Sweden I would think that people would be really tall.
0: Some are, but for the most part no. Just because huh. they're tall doesn't mean they play basketball. Right. I think we have a 6-4 girl on my team and she's probably close to one of the tallest. Uh and then we have an Italian um player Anyhow, she's like 6'8", so she's a bigger player, but at the same time gives space, so therefore a little fadeaway still works because she's a meter behind you.
1: Okay. Um, and then getting back to languages, is there any – it can be Swedish, Turkish, Chinese, whatever, but is there any word or phrase that you think is funny, that you like how it sounds, um, you just enjoy the meaning of, of it?
0: Uh <laughs> Hmm. I don't know. I got some funny ones, but like, I don't know. So, when I was in Russia, how you would say, how you would greet somebody is, Drastvicha. Okay. Kind of simple. But I'm American and ignorant at times. So, I changed it to Sopicha, and they didn't know the difference. (sighs) You know, like, they just thought I was bad pronunciation. So right. I, I turned drasvice into subcha, <laughs> And they were like, mm, хорошо, you, to, you know, like, they'd just come back with their Russian. Uh, right.
1: They would Italy, just smile and go on. Yeah, kind of. Yeah.
0: Italy, I like schifo. Schifo became a comical word for us. I think it's gross.
1: Yeah, it's like, che schifo.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> we turned that into, like, tante schifo and... It sounds like it'd be a cooler word than gross. It's not. So everything just became Schifo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I played, I played in um, Switzerland in the South and we were right by Italy. So we spoke Italian and I remember that word as well. Yeah. Yeah. Schifo. (laughs) Uh Yeah.
0: And then obviously a couple of the bad ones, but. uh... (laughs) Okay. That's it. Um, That's what I got for you.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate that. I always I just like uh, languages and hearing what Americans pick up and um, but we're kind of coming to the end here so I don't know if there's anything else you want to add or any subject we didn't really touch that you uh, feel like the world should know about um, I know tomorrow I'm going to be like kicking myself like ah oh, Leslie you should have asked her about this and you should have asked her about that
0: look if you want to do a follow-up <laughs> do a follow-up I gotta like <laughs> I I had nothing but time in the mornings for
1: you, Liz. Well, this, this podcast is called Another Season in the Books. So it's kind of the double meaning, like another season come and gone, and then another season, you know, playing and studying or whatever. Over the course of your, however many year career, how many years has it been? Like 15? This is my
0: 15th year professionally, yes.
1: 15 years. Have you ever like done a course or studied a language or thought about what you want to do when your basketball career comes to an end I mean I know you're just talking about now about thinking about how can I stay connected to basketball and you're thinking about getting into coaching um in Sweden do they have coaching courses like do you have to do a coaching course in order to be a certain level course uh coach
0: so yes in Sweden you have to take a four year course um And my thought was, all right, (laughs) I'm going to be here. This is my third year. So I was like, I'd already be close to being done. Well, they have language barrier because they don't offer it in anything but Swedish. Uh. So I can't truly take it. They told me I can't advance past a certain level because I don't have the experience. (laughs) And I'm (laughs) over here losing my mind because I see coaches who have... Absolutely no playing experience, no understanding of the team atmosphere, and they're just straight up yelling at kids to run faster and do this and do that, and I know what I think, I know what the hell I'm doing, <laughs> and I can't even get a license or advance in my coaching career here, so huh. I've tried, like, I've I've tried. I could leave Sweden and go somewhere else and get my license faster than I could stay here and get it in four years the quality of life the people so in my mind just because i still haven't gotten my license here doesn't mean it's still not helping me like i'm still learning as i coach i'm still you know learning from my head coach on the women's team i'm learning how to handle my 17s with you know girl problems and homework and holy shit you'd think one daughter's bad try having 12 of them and you know
1: That is very frustrating. I would think that if you knew somebody high up that they would just say, Janelle. I
0: know a few higher ups, but they're stuck in the rules. And I'm good with that. But I still feel like at some point you would say, oh, you've played basketball your whole life. Oh, that's what you do. Oh, you've been in a team and, you know, completed (laughs) courses. And like, you're, I don't know. Yeah. I just can't I just can't understand how they don't help more in that aspect. They're pretty close to losing me to some place that is gonna help.
1: Right. Well, I know in Spain I think it's um you start out with course zero, one, two, three. And as a professional athlete, I've been told that I can go directly to like having the second course. Um, I haven't done it yet. I need to look into it, but um, I could have the level two already level three is the level where they allow you to then coach a professional team. But with level two, you can coach anybody else, you know, below that. And, uh, but it is a quite a bit of work and it's like projects and presentations and homework. And then Mm -hmm. even, I think for the level three, you have to go physically for two weeks. Lots of times they do it in Zaragoza, but it's like a two week intensive, You have to pay your hotel, take vacation time, and you go to this two-week course. Um, But yeah, in the States, I don't think they have. like Coaches don't have to do that.
0: So this was my backdoor, seeing I didn't graduate. um, Mm. This was my thought to be a backdoor into coaching in the USA. But from my understanding is if you don't have a college degree, you can't be a college coach. Mm. And that's at any level, head coach or assistant. Mm-hmm. So that limits me to simply a professional or high school job in the states or anything overseas, except college, basically. So that was my thought that I was going to backdoor my way in to being able to coach in college at some point. Not even sure I want to, but that was just you know the thought. All right, Janelle. We are officially coming to the
1: end of the interview. Thank you for your time and uh, connecting. It was really nice.
0: Welcome. I had a good time, Les.
1: Janelle McCarville's overseas professional basketball career, in a nutshell. I know she has many more stories to tell, so we might have to schedule a follow-up interview at some point down the road. If you're listening to this podcast while cleaning the kitchen, driving up north, or cooking dinner, I hope you enjoyed yourself and laughed along with us. It still amazes me that I have been able to see so much of the world thanks to the beautiful game of basketball. And as Janelle said, there are a lot of jobs overseas for players who are looking to travel and prolong their playing careers. Depending where you sign, you might not make much money, but you will be granted the experience of living in a foreign country. And what you make out of your opportunity, well, that's up to you. And that's a wrap for another week here on Another Season in the Books. If you enjoyed the show, why not show us some love and give us a five-star rating or leave a comment and let us know what you thought. Your support means a lot and helps get the word out to future listeners. I'm your host, Leslie Knight. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, you can find another season in the books on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or virtually anywhere you find your podcasts. Take care, everyone. And please have a safe and healthy week.